Okay, my name is uh, Kenneth Mandaza. Um, I'm a Zimbabwean currently resident in South Africa. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now, let's get started with this episode. So we are looking at the life of Robert Mugabe in, the, in our series that is uh, the life and legacy of people. Now, we start with the, with the childhood. Who is Robert Mugabe in just a kind of a general background on him? Uh, Robert Mugabe is um, a, a, a young boy or a man born in um, uh, a family of Robert, uh, of Gabriel and Bona in 1924, uh, in February. And uh, the date is the 21st. And the, the, the family of um, Gabriel and Bona is said to have been a poor family. And uh, uh, Robert Mugabe was born uh, in a family of six in Kutama. Uh, which is in um, uh, Shonaland West, um, in the then southern Rhodesia. Uh, and um, he grew up in, uh, in Kutama, and uh, he went to school in Kutama, uh, where, which was a Roman Catholic school. So he was brought up under the a, the Roman Catholic uh, system, and uh, it is recorded that um, during his early days, Robert Mugabe was an intelligent boy, but uh, he kept to himself uh, many a, a, a times. And uh, his father later, um, um, there was a clash with the one of the German um, the fathers or leaders of the church, and they were uh, then uh, removed from the mission where they used to, to stay. But fortunately, the children were allowed to remain in the school, in the primary school, and when it is holidays, they would then go to their, uh, to the to to see their parents. And uh, after the demise, or when the German father they had left, they came another one, Father O'Hare, and he then brought back um, the family of the Mugabes to the mission, where he continued to, to, to go to his school. After finishing his um, uh, formative years in school, he was then enrolled as a teacher uh, as a, at Kutamat uh, College. And he graduated as a school teacher. But it is also recorded that because the father left him with the other siblings, uh, when he became a teacher, he tried to take care of the family uh, from his salary of two pounds per month. So he was taking care of the family. And the father had gone uh, to the nearby uh, town, which is Bulawayo, where it is also recorded that he married and had three other children who he later brought back. And uh, at the, the death of 
the father, uh, who was called Matipiri also, he then started to take care of this family. And um, it is also recorded that it, during his formative years, there is not much that can be said in terms of his political involvement. Although um, we see Robert Mugabe being an intelligent boy and at some stage, Father O'Hare, who paid part of his fees when the parents were not able to pay, um, saying that Robert Mugabe was an intelligent young man and uh, he kept to himself most of the time uh, reading his books. And uh, it is out of uh, the help and tutelage of Father O'Hare that Robert Mugabe became the man that he was. Uh, we also see that after some time, because of his interest in education, Robert Mugabe uh, had to go to Fort Hare. And it was at Fort Hare that uh, Robert Mugabe met some nationalists and he started to involve himself in um, the, the, the student um, politics and also attending the discourse to the discourse that was taking place at Fort Hare in terms of African nationalism. And after his stint in, um, in Fort Hare, Robert Mugabe came back to, to, to the then Southern Rhodesia. And uh, when he was in the Southern Rhodesia, he had now got some political consciousness. And at that time, there were also activities that were taking place in the country. He, although he did not express himself and align himself with some of the things that were happening, including the demonstrations, uh, he kept himself to the teaching that he was involved in, which were uh, he taught in a number of schools in, um, in, 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 uh, in the then Rhodesia. Uh, out of interest, because Ghana had a... He had got its independence. Robert Mugabe decided to go to Ghana uh, to see how it would be in an independent African country. And when he went to Ghana, he had an opportunity to see what was uh, happening there. And he became, he started to admire uh, Kwame Nkurume, whom he later said that he was his inspiration uh, over and above um, a, the Marxist philosophy that he had learned at some stage and his admiration of, the, of Marxism, which he also acquired during his stint in Fortier. But in, in Ghana, he, he admired what was happening and it was at that time that uh, he got so much interested, I think, in politics, and he also got in touch with his first wife, uh, Sally Holfram, who was also interested in politics. And uh, on one of his trips to Zimbabwe, to the then Rhodesia, Robert Mugabe came on holiday. But when he arrived in, Zimbabwe, in the then Rhodesia, he found the political activities were gaining momentum. And it was at this stage that um, he was invited in one of the demonstrations that took place, which it, uh, he took part.
he was invited to address the gathering because he was because of his education he was known as one of the he was one of the elites or one who could sp speak very well in terms of uh, the political ideology that he have so these are the things that happened before he if he went into um into politics thank you so much for that that is very important now we're beginning to see uh um an ordinary person becoming extraordinary uh, in fact that is also the reason we are in this series we are letting people know that ordinary people do rise from their level of ordinary to become extraordinary Mugabe, uh, robert mugabe is an extraordinary person not only for uh, zimbabwe but the whole of Africa and even the diaspora, there is a high regard for him for what he did uh, in his country. Uh, so he have had this influence now. He's beginning to come in. He beginning to smell power. Beginning to get near to the corridor of power. But how did he eventually rise in the politics of Zimbabwe? Um, in the politics of Zimbabwe, the, when he stood up and and addressed a number of people during this demonstration which um, is recorded that it took some days in the early 60s. Uh, Robert Mugabe, um, when he, they decided to form an organization, a political organization that was led by the late uh, comrade Joshua Nkomo, Robert Mugabe was um, elected as the secretary general. Um, he was elected is the spokesperson because he was a frequent uh, speaker. And um, he, it is also said that at that time, Robert Mugabe did not um, subscribe to the fact that um, in order for us to gain political independence, we should dialogue with our, our enemies. Robert Mugabe believed in going all out to 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 fight the enemy, and um, it is also um, said that um, her wife, because of her political conscien consciousness, she was also arrested at that particular time when they uh, tried to visit uh, the then Rhodesia and um, given an, um, a suspended sentence. Um, but going forward, the Robert Mugabe was got involved into in uh, the SRAN Southern Rhodesia African National uh, Congress. Uh, as you saw that in 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 South Africa, we had the African National Congress, and it is from there that we begin to see the African National Congress, and now we have in the, the then Rhodesia, the Southern. Rhodesia African National Congress. These political parties were banned on a number of times. And Robert Mugabe uh, and his group of people were also arrested. And uh, after their arrest, they were um, uh, given house arrests and or restricted to staying in particular uh, locations where they would not meet many people. Then after that, um, there was the ban of, uh, uh, of the Southern African, uh, South, the Southern Rhodesia African National uh, Congress. 
and uh, then another party was the National Democratic Party was also formed. And uh, at some stage, Robert Mugabe was appointed the Secretary General and the spokesperson of the party because of his knowledge and his, his eloquence in uh, speaking to people each time he was given that particular role. It is because of his involvement in the demonstrations and the speaking publicly against the regime that was there at that time. Robert Mugabe was arrested with other political uh, uh, leaders and he was incarcerated uh, for, for a period of um, uh, of 10 years, that is from 19, uh, 1964 to 1974, um, that's about 10 years. And during this time in, in prison, Robert Mugabe started to teach is um, some of the fellow inmates, and he was also studying. And during that time, he, he got about three to four degrees while he's in prison, and assisted others also to graduate with um, degrees while he's there in prison. And this is part of the preoccupation that he had. And sadly, during um, his imprisonment, his child, um, with Sarah, uh, with um, Miss Mugabe, uh, passed on. The one who was called Namozenika, he passed on. And uh, Robert Mugabe asked the leave to go and bury his child. But the then uh, uh, prison wardens denied him permission to go see uh, or to bury his uh, his child. And that angered him so much that um, during his time in prison, he would interact with the wardeners. And these wardeners would then um, become the people conveying uh, some of the messages. Messages that would come from outside, they would be sneaked or into prison and given to Robert Mugabe and uh, the uh, fellow inmates. He was in a number of prisons that are in Zimbabwe, such as Gonagodzingwa, Kami uh, prisons, and, and so on. And it was not an easy time. During that time, the political leaders that had remained behind, people like Ndabaning Stole, who was then leading the, the, the organization in, in Zimbabwe. Or the, there is a part that I left where Robert Mugabe went, went to Zambia. And when he got to Zambia, uh, I can't recall the year, uh, he was uh, taken into custody, was, um, he was assisted or he stayed by the, he stayed with the uh, family of uh, the current president, President Monangagwa, uh, in the same house. And that which Robert Mugabe was older than uh, than uh, Emerson Monangagwa, the current president, and they, the parents of uh, the current president, took care of Emerson Monangagwa of of Robert Mugabe while they were in Zambia, and he, it was during these times because of his eloquence, he was invited to speak even in Zambia to talk to. Uh, the then president of Zambia, Kenneth Kaunda, Julius Nyerere, and so on. 
And um, I, I was at the point where I was saying there was the the, gen, the, the uh, leader of of ZANU, Dabaning Stole, uh, who remained outside leading the, the, the struggle. But uh, because of the pressure that came out from the regime at that particular time, Dabaning uh, Stole conceded to some demands that did not go well with the, the uh, ZANU leadership that was in prison. So he became the, the, the a leader who was not the favorite. Because Robert Mugabe wanted to lead the struggle, he wanted an armed struggle, he then uh, requested through others like old um, Herbert Chitepo, Leopold Takawira, and so on, were not in prison to lead uh, the, 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 the organization. At one time, it is also um, a Comrade Joshua Nkomo, because Josh, Comrade Joshua Nkomo thought that dialogue was important. We needed to sit down together with our enemies and the craft um, an agreement that would lead to, to, to independence. And this is where they, they differed. Robert Mugabe wanted an all-out war to make sure that the whites would be brought into submission. So with those differences, there was a split and the ZANU was formed and um, uh, Joshua Ngomo remained with NDP, which later transformed into ZAPU um, to, to, to run uh, two parallel political parties, one which was predominantly Ndebele and the other one which was predominantly Shona. But uh, I think you might also be interested in knowing that uh, um, Robert Mugabe was from the Zezuru, and the Zezuru uh, constitute a small proportion of the Shona people, but um, they together is the Shonas, although there were some scaffolds because of the Shonas, the Karangas, the Korekoresans, and the Zezurus in the Shona uh, grouping, they, they were able to coexist because all together they were known as Shonas. Um, then um, when Robert Mugabe, uh, there is a point where Robert Mugabe, uh, when he was in prison, um, instructed, was giving directions to how the war should be prosecuted. And when he came out of prison, um, he decided he had already been elected as the leader when people fell out of, um, when Dabaning's story fell out of favor with the leadership that had gone to war, they elected Robert Mugabe to become the leader of the, of the party. And uh, Robert Mugabe, then when he was out of uh, uh, prison, he then went to, he was then uh, under house arrest, but they decided to go to the war front. And he went out with assistance of Chief Rekai Tangwena and others, they went out together with Tekere to Mozambique. And when they got there, Robert Mugabe was placed in a house given by Samora Machel, but Samora Machel, it is said, did not trust Robert Mugabe. And they <laughs> only trusted him after some time. <laughs> okay, okay.
All right, no, no, please go. That is interesting. <laughs> so um, there was because Robert Mugabe wanted war, and some of the leaders in our region uh, preferred dialogue because Samora Mashela had seen what had happened in uh, in Mozambique, and Robert Mugabe was speaking Marxism, and the uh, Marxism uh, to many was uh, is a philosophy or was a philosophy that um, if it was to be implemented, the enemies would be chased out of the country. And there were suspicions also on whether Robert Mugabe would be accepted and embraced by the leadership that was already at the war front. And um, uh, luckily, Robert Mugabe was accepted by the leadership that was at the forefront and he was then elected as the leader of ZANU in the first Congress that took place in Mozambique. Uh, where he was elected the substantive uh, president and the leader of the um, of ZANU PF. Of ZANU. Oh, of Thank you. Thank you so much for that. That's very important. In fact, I, I, I wanted also to understand um, what actually did uh, Robert Mugabe wanted by being in politics. Uh, what, what was his mission? If we can say this was his, actually his mission in being in politics. Can you say anything about that? Yeah, um, I, his mission was because he had been angered by a number of things that was happening in in in, um, in southern Rhodesia, yeah, the segregation which was in southern Rhodesia, the way how people had been confined, uh, like the majority of the Africans had been confined to uh, reserved areas where the land was. Um, could not yield the the kind of results or yields as compared to what we saw in the areas where the uh, the whites had taken. It was only six thousand whites who occupied most of the fatal land in Zimbabwe, and angered um, Robert Mugabe and many other nationalists. So one of the reasons was to make sure that there was a redress of the uh, um, concerns and the, the concerns of the black majority, particularly to land distribution, land distribution, as well as making sure that the segregation and discrimination that was obtaining in the country can be dealt with. We needed people should be treated equally. That is important. And it should be just for every just society. Now, looking at uh, the time that we are looking at now, when um, it was his stronghold to sort of uh, pass a message that will resonate in the whole of uh, Zimbabwe, uh, what would you say was his major challenge? What did he have to fight uh, to be able to get what he wanted? The, one of the major challenges, I, I think, would have been acceptance. Uh, because he was a radical person, because we see it, on a number on the Robert Mugabe was so radical. The the people that wanted uh, that we were fighting against, and those that would wa wanted to, to intervene, did not easily accept Robert Mugabe because of his Marxist philosophy. And those at the leadership level in ZANU PF, because here is a man who joins in. Uh, at a time when others had already gone into the war. And people would have ordinarily felt that he has come to take the leadership, yet there were other leaders. So 
he, he had also a challenge of acceptance by those that he had to lead. Some of him had been prosecuting the war when he was in, in custody. Um, there are also other things that Robert Mugabe believed in that, uh, like, for instance, going to the war front and those that wanted the round table. It is recorded that um, at one point when the Lancaster House conference wanted to kickstart, Robert Mugabe had refused to, for, Zano, for Zano to go to the Lancaster House. He wanted to continue to fight the, 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 the whites so that they can go into submission. Yet, the uh, Joshua Nkomo and others wanted to go to the, to, to, to the table. So it took people like Samora Marshall and, and others to push Robert Mugabe to the table. In fact, it is said that Samora Marshall had said, if you do not go, I will not give you bases for your... Uh, uh, for your army to stay in, in, in Mozambique. And one of the challenges that he also had, because Robert Mugabe wanted the land so much, when he was at the Lancaster House uh, conference as the two leaders of the Patriotic Front, at one time Robert Mugabe walked out of the conference because of the number of concessions that were made on issues that he felt were quite fundamental, like the land question. He felt that the whites needed to agree that uh, they, we, we, we were going to get our land back until concessions were made that the yes, land will go back, but first it will be on a willing buyer, willing seller basis. So these are some of the challenges that he had during the prosecution of the law, of the war. And even immediately after, during, when he came back to, to the then Rhodesia, um, whereas the majority of the people were accepting Robert Mugabe because of what they had heard from him over radio uh, Mozambique and what they have seen um, the, 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 our um, fighters doing, uh, the majority of the people accepted him. But the whites, including those that were participating in the elections, did not trust Robert Mugabe because they felt that he was too radical. Uh, he would implement things that would not see Zimbabwe going to, uh, forward. And they were surprised uh, because he, as much as he had this, um, the, Mao, uh, the Marxist-Leninist philosophy, you could also listen and you would see that as we move forward, Zimbabwe did not undertake the Marx, did not proceed with the Marxist-Leninist philosophy. It adopted a socialist philosophy that also embraced a bit of capitalism to make sure that Zimbabwe can grow. It took time for quite a number of people to accept Robert Mugabe. So what is the philosophy of the leadership of Robert Mugabe? Um, Robert Mugabe, um, as we saw in his leadership or his thrust during the liberation struggle. Uh, one thing that um, uh, came out so clearly is his desire to make sure that um, Zimbabwe is um, liberated through an armed struggle. But what we also saw, especially at the time that he went to Mozambique, 
um, sometime in 1975. And when he took over the reins of the of Zanu and Zanla, uh, it is recorded that he had a lot of suspicion of some of the leaders that uh, had gone to the war front much earlier than him. And it is also recorded that out of the suspicion and uh, probably uh, his thoughts that uh, some of the leaders might be uh, doing things behind his back, he even uh, um, punished one of his um, uh, second in command, uh, who was called Wilfred Manda. And um, he, we see Robert Mugabe being a, 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 an individual who probably out of suspicion and mistrust because himself, he gave the reins, the leadership of the uh, Liberation Army, which was the Zimbabwe National, uh, the Zimbabwe African National Liberation Army to Comrade Josiah Tongogara because he was a fully fledged um, uh, or trained uh, soldier and as compared to Robert Mugabe. But uh, he gained the trust over time and the control of the party. And when he came into power, the mistrust that the majority of the people had, particularly uh, Western countries, that uh, from what he used to speak through the radio, uh, trying to rally the support of the generality of the people, uh, he pronounces himself as a Marxist-Leninist uh, individual. And um, so many people did not trust him. They thought that he was going to be lethal in terms of his approach. But um, in 1980, he defied many uh, odds when he announced the policy of reconciliation, when he said that um, we should all come together and put our shoulders to the deck in order for us to move the country Zimbabwe. And as a, the first prime minister of, of Zimbabwe, he knew that it, governance of a country would not be easy. So he even invited Britain to uh, assist him for a period, but Britain did not take uh, that offer. He even invited uh, Lord Soames, who was the governor who presided over the take um, the elections and so on, to stay longer in the country to assist him to put the necessary structures that were needed. So here we see a leader who is prepared to learn from those that have been there before him uh, to make sure that uh, the governance of the country can be shaped in a manner that can ensure continuity in the country. We also see, uh, we also saw Comrade Robert Mugabe reaching out to the former army general of um, the Rhodesian army, General Peter Walls, to make sure that he brings together the uh, Zebra um, fighters, 
the Zandla fighters and the Rhodesian army to form one army. That under ordinary, um, ordinarily could not have take, um, could not have been done by somebody who was your adversary. But he reached out to Peter Wolves. Um, at one time he refused, but at the end of the uh, at the end of the day he refused to put together the armies that were fighting. So um, I'm emphasizing here we are seeing uh, Comrade Robert Mugabe at the infancy of Rhodesia. Uh, rallying all people as a collective so that they can put their heads together. He was an individual who at this particular time would say we know it all uh, or he, he did not believe in winners take all. Even the losers were brought into government. When uh, Zanu, uh, Zanu won 57 seats uh, and um, um, Zapu 20 seats and UANC three seats. He even went out to bring in two uh, ministers who were from um, the Rhodesian um, government then to so that they can work together with the Zimbabwean government. And um, so in in all that. This is an individual who believes in continuity, who believed in continuity in terms of uh, uh, building the country. He was also good at listening. Uh, he was a good listener. And uh, I will put this in, in, in that um, uh, you recall I mentioned that at one point, uh, Robert Mugabe was not keen in going to attend the Lancaster House Conference. Because for him, he believed that a protracted war would lead to submission uh, by the uh, Rhodesian army. And uh, after here getting uh, advice from Samura Marshall uh, and others, he eventually went to, to, to the conference. And um, during the conference, he believed so much that land, the land question should be addressed in a manner that satisfies the majority of the, uh, of the blacks in Zimbabwe. And hence, he did not want to compromise uh, in, in that regard. But after a number of consultations and advice from others, he ended up, together with Comrade Joshua Nkomo, ceding to the willing buyer, willing seller where in the first 10 years of our independence, uh, we were not supposed to take land from the whites other than the un, uh, unproductive land. Otherwise, the rest of the, uh, uh, of the land would have been uh, taken through the willing buyer, willing seller basis. Where the British and the Americans were supposed to uh, fund this process of willing buyer, willing seller, which they later reneged and led to the uh, um, fast track land reform in the in the early 2000. Uh, he, Comrade Robert Mugabe, was also he understood the importance of uh, education and um, uh, the health because. because the racial inequalities that existed during his formative years 
when he then decided to go in politics drove him to understand that there was a need to increase the number of people, uh, the literacy of the people, and make sure that the health care is provided. And he brought in people from other um, the technocrats who were out there in the world, uh, who were of Zimbabwean origin, so that they can assist in the building of Zimbabwe. So these were some of his leadership traits that showed up during the early days of our liberation, uh, of our independence. Thank you so much for that. Uh, what I, I think people would like to understand now is, um, uh, of course, the land reform, we are going to come to that uh, just now. But before we get there, how did average Zimbabweans fit under uh, Robert Mugabe? Because now he had power, of course, he stayed in it until his death. So tell me about how the average Zimbabwean fit under his own leadership. When Robert Mkabe came back in 1980, he was welcomed by a crowd uh, that filled what we know as the uh, Zimbabwe grounds, which are in Highfield, the suburb that he had a house or where he stayed before he decided to go to, to, to join others in Mozambique. And um, the, welcome, the, the welcome that he received indicated the kind of support that Robert Mugabe had. Before his coming, Comrade Joshua Nkomo had also arrived earlier and had received a resounding welcome in the same uh, grounds. But in, when we compared the multitude of the people that gathered, Robert Mugabe he had more people. That showed the support and belief that people had in his leadership. Even um, during the campaign period, um, at some stage, the other uh, political parties complained about ZANU-PF's methods of campaign, and Robert Mugabe was brought to uh, the table by Lord Soames. And it, there was a clause that would say if somebody or a political party does something that is outside uh, the agreed prescripts, that political party would not participate in the elections. But because of the belief that Lord Soames and others who were working with Lord Soames, that Robert Mugabe was commanding a huge support, they could not risk banning uh, them, banning ZANU from participating in the elections. And obviously, Robert Mugabe coming from um, the tribe, the Shona tribe, which had about 70% of the total population of Zimbabwe at that time, and uh, uh, having that support of the Shona people, it was uh, one would not risk um, burning him because they knew he had a lot of support. Going on, one thing that Robert Mugabe is known for and all over the world is his, his eloquence and how he articulated 
matters that affected the people of Zimbabwe and the people of the uh, of Africa and other progressive world. Because of that, he became a role model for many people, not only in Zimbabwe, but also on the continent. He was a voice of reason for many people, uh, be it at the United Nations and other platforms that he was given. So because of his eloquence, his ability to articulate issues, and his fearlessness, especially when addressing matters that related to injustices that he saw, um, made him a role model for many people. So Robert Mugabe had a lot of support. Even I spoke about the majority of the Shona people and would want to believe that he had also the support of and this support continued to grow as um, the country continued to progress in its development agenda. It is true that Robert Mugabe was really bold and really eloquent and he could really speak and he could really iron out what he wanted to iron out. He was not afraid to say this. And this is, uh, I think, what many people really uh, know him for uh, in the international community. I'm not in Zimbabwe, I've never been there, but I, I know I've listened a lot to, to his speeches. Another thing that uh, I think also marked his administration uh, in power um, is the land reform in Zimbabwe. As a Zimbabwe, I want to know what is your take on the land reform? The land question was uh, one of the fundamental uh, reasons why people had to go to, to war. So that the four million people who had been taken to 41% of the arable land, yet 6,000 whites were occupying the greater portion, made those that went to war see the injustice that were there and sought that it should be addressed. And one other thing that Robert Mugabe and the other fighters knew very well was that it is from the land that we can draw or where we draw most of our resources. And it is from owning the means of production that we can become fully independent. And it is for that reason that um, we believe that Robert Mugabe, during the Lancaster House Conference, did not want to relent easily when it came to the issue of the uh, land redistribution. Hence, it had to be a constitutional issue. It had to be in the constitution, in the agreement that was made that while in the first 10 years, land was not going to be uh, forcibly taken from those who were on the land, the, it was going to be bought through the uh, first uh, willing buyer, willing seller basis. But the funding of this willing buyer, willing seller process was to come from the British government. And Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister of Britain at that particular time, had agreed to make sure that funding would be provided. And it was followed up 
Um, the other thing that I might also want to indicate is that there were also, it is recorded that there were also moves that were made by other leaders in neighboring countries that if Zimbabweans were to take their land, they should defer it for some time so that South Africa can be free. Because whatever was going to happen in Zimbabwe with respect to land, the land reform would send signals to the apartheid regime so that they can tighten their hold on South Africa. So one of the reasons why it took so time for Zimbabwe to go all out to take its land after the expiry of the 10 years and the reneging of the British government after signing an agreement at the land conference that took place in Victoria Falls um, in the 90s. Um, it was because we wanted to see uh, South Africa free. And freedom in South Africa came in 1994, and uh, it took some time and negotiations, and hoping that the British, uh, which then came under Tony Blair, would see reason to fund for the repossession or the buying of land. Because of the failure by the British, it left the Zimbabweans with no other option other than to seize land, which they believed even during the war, that it was land that had been taken from our forefathers and stolen forcibly. Death, uh, some lost their lives, uh, some um, or lost their uh, cattle or uh, domestic animals when land was seized forcibly from them. And when the British government reneged under Tony Blair, the Sosé clan and the other members of ZANU-PF saw it fit that people should go onto the land and repossess, take what is theirs. And Comrade Robert Mugabe and the um, uh, war veterans had no option but to make sure that uh, people were given land under two models. We had the A1 model and the A2 model. One of the models would allow uh, villagization so that people were given sizable land tracts where they could settle and farm. And the idea was decongest the villages where people were living um, in congested form. Then we had another model which would see those with the capacity to uh, continue farming, getting sizable pieces of land. And this, with this process, a number of people were able to get land. People have argued and said, uh, Robert Mugabe and his um, leadership collective could have used another model. The model that was used at that particular time had no precedence. It was one of its own and the first to be done uh, on, in Africa and in, uh, in the world. 
and the manner in which it was done, you are taking land from people who ordinarily are not prepared to give in their land. So there could be scaffolds, there could be fighting, and these unfortunately led to the loss of lives of other people, which was not the whole purpose and agenda of the land reform process. Because at first it was the willing buyer, willing seller, which meant people should, if you are not prepared to sell, if you are prepared to sell your land, you would be compensated for the improvements, not for the land, but for the improvements that you would have done on the land. And this is what um, Robert Mugabe did. A lot of people got their land. Unfortunately, because of it was a fast-track land program, we could not train those that were going on the farm. And as a result, productivity from the farms declined, uh, leading to the challenges that we saw in the uh, early uh, 2000s. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that I would like to ask you on the land issue uh, because it is something that needs to be uh, to be understood. So yeah, like I said before, it's one of the key one of the factors that actually characterize uh, the Mugabe administration. One thing I want to ask is, um, what is the meaning of willing buyer, willing seller? I'm not sure I fully understand that. Willing buyer, willing seller. There should be a willing buyer. Somebody. There should be a willing seller. The person who is occupying the land should be willing to sell it. Then the government will then buy it. And this was then was done so that the people who were occupying the land would make a decision to sell their land. We are looking at a situation where Mr. X would be having land from a, a stretching more than 20 kilometers. We have one farmer in Marshall and West who had large tracts of land stretching more than 50 kilometers. One out of good reason would say, because we would want to ensure that people are, are, are resettled, let me give part of my land. For that part of the land, you sell it, then it is bought by the government and you get your money. But there were not many people who were willing to sell their farms, even those that were idle. So the, uh, the principle of willing buyer, willing seller was one which required the owner of the farm uh, to seed part of his farm in return for compensation um, at the value of the piece of land or the farm that you will be giving up for sale to the government. And this land would then be used for resettlement uh, by the government. <laughs> Sorry that I'm laughing, though, because it's quite annoying. It's like somebody have stolen your property, then at a point you say, okay, if you are willing to give me back what you have stolen from me, I will compensate you for having kept it up to, up to this point. Okay. But where did the idea itself even come from? And how were the people sure that those who are now occupying the land, who are now the master of Africa, coming from Europe, they are the master of this world, they will just decide to give up the land so that the government can then buy it? I'm not yet clear on that. Yes, the willing buyer, willing seller uh, was 
part of the clauses that was put in the Lancaster House uh, Conference Agreement. You recall I said that one of the sticking points during the Lancaster House Conference was that of the land question, where Robert Mugabe and Joshua Nkomo were saying that one of the things that we would want to see in an independent Zimbabwe is that land should be returned to its uh, rightful owners. And on the other hand, we had Muzorewa, uh, 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 Muzorewa who was the leader of the Zimbabwe Rudisha um, uh, administration, and Ian Smith. They pushed together for the preservation of the properties of the whites where they were staying at that time. But Robert Mugabe, you recall I said he had even walked out of the conference because he felt that it would be um, an, an injustice for those who would have lost their lives and those who would have lost their brothers, sisters, and children at the battlefront to then hear that people have ceded to an agreement which did not allow the black majority to own their land. But through persuasion by other political leaders and the leaders of other countries in the region, he went back, and that's when they then agreed to the willing buyer, willing seller. And one of the things that they also agreed to is that there were properties that the governments had signed uh, or companies had signed under what is known as BIPA, where they are protected by the government. And these, the property rights of these properties would not even under any uh, 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 program to get land, they would not get, they would, it would not be taken. So it was an unfortunate kind of an arrangement, uh, but it was only going to subsist for 10 years. If the whites had, like they did, they did not comply, they did not take heed of the willing buyer, willing seller. So after 1990, after 1989, we were supposed to have gone all out to repossess our land. It's, it's, a, it's a tough decision. Uh, but I'm sure that if you do that to uh, Italy, maybe some other country come and take the land from there. I don't think you can even imagine that, that all the people here in the, in the whole of the West will not allow it to happen. That first of all, you manage to find somebody who stole the land and you will need to negotiate with the person on the terms of how you are going to relinquish the land back. Now, I'm saying that because uh, uh, Robert Mugabe is quoted as saying that when they took the land, there was no negotiation. They didn't consult the people that owned the land. They took it by force. And now, the people that own the land want it. They are asking for negotiation. So I'm trying to see this ambiguity here of you catching a thief you have to negotiate with the thieves so that you can get the land back of course i'm saying thieves because the colonialists are basically thieves they come to a land that is not their own they take it and now 
they, they want to be compensated. I'm not able to understand that. Yes, you, you, you see, you are very right to say thieves. And uh, unfortunately, we were, the, we were brought Robert Mugabe, Joshua Nkomo, and all other leaders of the struggle were brought to a table where they were going to negotiate with the thieves. And uh, the thieves had wielded some power because they had their kith and kin who were also offering some trinkets so that uh, we could buy in in their arguments. And But one thing that we should commend our leaders for who were at the Lancaster House Conference is that they made sure that as much as they were compromising on that fundamental issue of the land question, they had a time frame to say that one, it should only last for 10 years. If they do not sell their land, then through the willing buyer, willing seller basis, then the land was going to be taken. Secondly, the willing buyer, willing seller was going to be done or was going to be paid for using money which was supposed to be funded through the British government. Because the British government is the one that had its kith and kin in Zimbabwe. And when Tony Blair came into power, he reneged on all promises and agreements that had been made by Margaret Thatcher. That is why you had at some point Comrade Robert Mugabe saying the little Blair. And at that particular time, we had what we were calling Blair toilets in Zimbabwe. And the euphemism that was then attached to the little Blair uh, and the songs that were being sung by others that the, the the, 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 the Blair that we know is a toilet made a reference to um, uh, the then Prime Minister of Britain who had reneged on the funding of um, the, 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 the willing buyer, willing seller process. And even then, they reneged on the funding of the uh, uh, payment of improvements that were supposed to, to, to be, uh, that had been done on the farms by those who were there. Because even when land was forcibly taken, there was that provision. And because they had refused to go through the willing buyer, willing seller, there was no reason why Robert Mugabe and all the other leaders would then have gone to uh, the Zimbabwe Farmers Union and all these other unions where the farmers were affiliated to and say, now let us negotiate, have a new negotiation. Well, when it was time to take up the land, land had to be taken. And it was going to be taken because Robert Mugabe and all the liberation fighters knew that to empower the black men, you needed to make sure that you take, uh, you give him land. Because it is from the land that we can get all the resources to build the country. It is from the land that we can uh, ensure that we own the means of production. And that is exactly what Robert Mugabe and the Leadership Collective did to make sure that Zimbabweans become the owners uh, of the means of production 
particularly the land. And we are proud that uh, we, uh, unlike any other um, African country, we are truly independent given that we own our land. All right. Uh, in Zimbabwe, there is a, a certain amount of people of European origin you know, who are still citizens of the country. Were they totally driven out or did they have a place where they can also farm like other Zimbabwe? Because, of course, we can see now that the arrangement that the British made didn't work. It cannot work because this is not your land. You take it and you take it disproportionately. The people that own the land didn't have anything anymore. Those that never owned the land now have the land. Okay, that didn't work. It cannot work. That is an injustice of a stagnant proportion. All right, at the time of Mugabe, since there are these uh, British people that are living among the Zimbabwean as Zimbabwean, do they have a land to also live and farm like every other Zimbabwean, or do they need extra treatment? They need more land compared to other people. Let me understand that. Let us put this into context. When Robert Mugabe came into power in, 2000, in 1980, he extended the hand of reconciliation to, the, um, uh, to everyone and said, let bygones be bygones. Let us now work together to develop our country. It is only because of the mistrust that the whites had that they decided to leave the country. It had nothing to do with Robert Mugabe and his leadership. Because Robert Mugabe had said, we are prepared. If you were my enemy yesterday, now that the war is over, you have become my friend, let us work together. So under those circumstances, we would have expected that whites and anyone else who was owning huge tracts of land would start to seed or to sell it under the willing buyer willing seller basis. But those who did not do so, when people came to, force, to forcefully take the land, they should not have resisted. They should have said, here I am. I'm ready to give you 50 hectares out of the 100 that I have. And those whites that were prepared to work with the black majority are still there in the country. They are treated in the same manner like any other citizen, and they have no pre uh, special uh, preference as much as black. the black majority do not have a special uh, treatment because ordinarily they have also become Zimbabweans. The only difference is that they're white and we are, the majority are black, but we are all Zimbabweans and they should not be accorded any special treatment. If we have a farmer's union, Blacks and white are in the farmers' union. If the minimum acreage for a farm is 200 hectares, blacks and whites should have 200 hectares, and so on and so on. So there is no preferential treatment. But more importantly, the issue of land is that it should be turned into, product, uh, into productivity. And this is where now we have seen the government even today trying to do land audits to make sure that there is no land that is used by individuals for speculative purposes. You need, if you have a piece of land, you should be turning, into it, turning it into production. It should be producing a food so that we can, we can put food secure. 
we can't continue to be where what we are today when we have learned that is productive, that if people work uh, on the, the pieces of land, we can go back to what we used to be. And like you have asked, whites who are in the country, we have quite a significant number. They are still treated, they are treated in the same manner that the black majority are also uh, uh, treated. And anything that they want, it is through the same process. But, you know, uh, they still, on their own, still have their white, uh, white privilege, which they accord to themselves or arrogate to themselves by virtue of the uh, riches that they amassed at the time that they, uh, we, we, we are under their control and rule. All right, thank you for that. So, with me, of course, it's not that uh, the the white farmers uh, they were all driven away from Zimbabwe. They're they are still there. They still have access to land if they want to farm. They can still farm just like they would farm like every other Zimbabwe. They can uh, just like if Zimbabwe want to own land to farm, they can farm. If you are a white person, you want to farm, you have access to land, you can farm. Is it correct? Or if you are a white person, you cannot uh, own land in Zimbabwe. What is uh, if you are a white person in, and you would want to farm in Zimbabwe, you have every right to do so, like any black, uh, uh, like any other farmer in the uh, in the country. And those that and I must emphasize that um, the Zimbabwean government in the 1980s never intended and never uh, drove uh, whites out of the country. The hand of reconciliation that was extended to them was to make sure that they continue to live in the country in the manner that they had lived, lived before. But now, uh, respecting the fact that we are all equal, racial inequality that existed yesterday uh, is what our liberation heroes fought against. They fought against racial inequality. And when independence, at the dawn of independence, it meant that all races were equal. And that is what it is even today. Whites, blacks, they are equal. They are treated in the same manner. If you are a farmer, a white farmer, you are given land, you will farm, and you will be treated equally. And you those that are still ready to come back to Zimbabwe. The Zimbabwe is open. If land is there and they prove that they are Zimbabweans, they will definitely get land. Nobody is denied land as long as you are Zimbabwe. Thank you for that. You see, uh, it is important, this particular argument, and of course, it should be important, uh, not only in the case of Zimbabwe, just uh, uh, the Zimbabwe, thanks to the leadership of Robert Mugabe, decided to take a drastic step Whereas many other African leaders will be there begging at a negotiated term of agreement, term that they didn't write, that are drafted, maybe in Washington or, or Rome or in London, they will tell them, come and sign, they sign. And that is, that is where we are today. Many wildlife in Africa are controlled by the Europeans, and we think it is normal. It is not normal. No, there is no country in Europe that is controlled by other people. The countries in Europe are controlled by the Europeans. So when Africans say that we want to control our resources, it is not too much to ask for. It is the right thing to do. And for the fact that you are a European, you are living in, uh, in Africa, 
that African people want to treat you like they treat other people, you should be happy that that is the way it is. So you cannot go to another man's land. I want to be the lord of their land. I want to, I want to impose yourself. Of course, it is true that when the people are not saying, let's go back to a kind of a level play field, it is true that you are not going to be having those privileges anymore. It, it makes sense that you want to fight. But to the people who own the land, they say this is how they want the system to run. If you are not satisfied, go back to where you are coming from. Because that is it everywhere. You, no Africa can go to England and say they are going to take the land from the English people. The English people will not accept that. If you cannot accept it in your country, why do it in another man's country? What kind of justice are you talking about? Robert Mugabe, as a leader, his legacy is a rich one. When he took over as the Prime Minister of, uh, of Zimbabwe in 1980, education was one of his priorities. In 1980, we had 1,000 um 177 we had 177 schools by 1990 we had 1548 schools and if you look at that you will see that the percentage increase was very huge he also increased the number of uh, programs for adult, adult literacy to a point where in, um, in 1980 we had 62% as the literacy rate. And by the 1990, we were hovering around 82%. And at some point, we were the highest in Africa courtesy of the uh, education policies and programs and the prioritization that Robert Mugabe made on education because he believed in the empowerment of the black majority uh, in terms of education. The health sector was also one of his strongest area that he worked on and increased the number of hospitals and clinics so that they are within accessible distance. He did not only increase the numerical number of hospitals, but even the quality, <coughs> excuse me, of hospitals services that were provided also was better and was accessible to the majority of the black people. We no longer had are hospitals that were exclusively meant for whites or clinics that were exclusively meant for whites and others meant for blacks. We, we, he did away with what was termed the FET schools, which were exclusively meant for blacks and made sure that they entered in the mainstream, um, uh, in the mainstream in terms of education. Whereas in the past, the majority of the blacks would be confined to building woodwork or carpentry and the other um, uh, uh, um, and teaching and becoming a policeman. Robert Mugabe made sure that uh, 
people were empowered educationally and could access anywhere, any employment that they would, depending on their qualifications which they got. The number of universities were also increased. The other legacy of President Mugabe, of the former president, Comrade Robert Mugabe, is that of his ideals in terms of empowerment, black empowerment. There are quite a number of people today, other than owning land, who are owning mines and other uh, productive sectors in the country. We, at one point, had what was known as um, the economic empowerment policy, where if one wanted to come and invest in the country, it would go under the 5149 uh, principle, where the owners of the land of the country would get 51% of the shares and, 41, and 49 to the investor. While that was uh, a, 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 had some challenges, the idea was to make sure that the black majority sees opportunities to become masters of their destiny. Robert Mugabe, as we all understand him, is part of his legacy is that he made good noise not only for the African, no, for the Zimbabweans, but for the rest of Africa and all those that are under uh, injustices. He spoke for the voiceless, especially in the United Nations. He made it very clear that we are equal, regardless of our geographical position on the globe. And it, he, when he presided over a number of forums, the United Nations, SADC, non-aligned movement, and so on, he was quite steadfast and principled in his quest to make sure that the racial injustice and inequality that exists in various platforms should be dealt with, be it at the World Bank, IMF, and the in some of the Britain World's institutions, so that this equality that is needed, there is no lesser human being. There is no lesser human being. And Robert Mugabe believed in the sovereignty of each particular state. He believed in the sovereignty of Zimbabwe, and he respected the sovereignty of all other countries. That is why even today, we still subscribe to the principle of non-interference in the domestic affairs of other countries on the globe. It is because we believe that circumstances, and this is what Robert Mugabe believed, the democracy that obtains in Zimbabwe is determined by the circumstances prevailing in the country. And likewise, how you do uh, your democracy in the United in the United Kingdom is determined by what is on the ground circumstances, and each one of us should therefore respect one another. Um, Robert Mugabe. One of the things that is, he will be remembered for is that he was a Pan-Africanist. You recall in the introduction we said that 
Robert Mugabe, besides being taught by Father, by Father O'Hare, he believed in Mahatma Gandhi and Kwame Nkrumah. And it is from these and many other African leaders that were before him, he took upon it as one of the leaders that will speak for the Africans on the globe and fight for the emancipation of the blacks on the continent. So his legacy, other than many other things, there are many things that we can talk about. His legacy is rich. We recognize that there are, he, he was human. He had missteps, missteps along the way. But when we outweigh the missteps and what he, the good things that he did, we always see Robert Mugabe as a beacon in the body politics of Africa, uh, be it in development and other things. Thank you for that. Uh, before we get to um, the possibility of secession, uh, I want to just quickly point out that, yes, the Zimbabwean economy may have also got a hit uh, in follow-up to uh, the land reform and maybe what the West will confirm as their own injustice. And we would need to understand what is meant by injustice in this sense, that for the West, if it is in their interest, that is justice. If it is not in their interest, that is non-justice. So that if they come to your land and they take your land, they can blow all sort of grammar to you, that is justice for them. But if you try to reclaim it, of course, it was even constitutional when, what Zimbabwe did. And like you are saying, they are interpreting the law, they, they, are, do, they are interpreting their own democracy according to the sense and sensibility of their people and of their circumstances. That is what is happening in the U.S. That is what is happening in the U.K. You don't go to U.K. and start meddling in their elections and start telling them this is what you should do. They choose, the people of the United Kingdom decide what is good for them. So every country in the world should be able to do the same. They should be able to organize their foreign and domestic policy according to how it affects their people. I think it should be simple to understand. All right, have we just clarified that? Because Mugabe is a leader, he have, have a foresight. Did he make any plan for secession, for somebody who is going to succeed him? Or did he think he was going to live forever? Let me understand that. <laughs> uh, that one is a difficult question. Um, they, 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 this is where now we, we, we fail to understand Robert Mugabe, some of us. When all the good had been done, uh, it came to a point where uh, there was talk in the corridors of succession. And according to Robert Mugabe, the succession would only come through the power of the people. In the party, you had to be voted, nominated, voted by the people. But we see some kind of cultism, something like a cultism um, emerging where people were beginning to hero worship Robert Mugabe. Yes, he had so many things that he had done, but he was an individual who could not live forever. 
And it seemed as if he had no plan for him to nominate or train an individual. Although in one of his speeches after he had been deposed from power, he said he had the intention of putting up somebody whose name he mentioned. But it was not clear because we, we, see, we saw the wife, Grace Mugabe, coming in and even trying to usurp power. We began to see decisions that we felt now that these were decisions that were coming from the bedroom rather than from the state house. So the plan for Robert Mugabe in terms of succession was not very clear. And um, should we say that he resisted um, to be replaced? Uh, you cannot say that with the certainty because there was no attempt in all the congresses that were done to nominate someone else other than Robert Mugabe. So, but he should have been conscious enough. He should have been, he should have been a good leader, like what we have said. He should have foreseen the fact that he was not going to live for eternity. He should have started to build some leaders. Well, you could argue if he, is, he would, was there to say that I was, because we saw a few, um, um, we had what was known as the Generation 40. And the Generation 40 was made up of people that were in the 40s who felt that it was time for them to rule. So there was another group of people that felt, no, 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 no. They are now using Robert Mugabe to ascend to power. Was it his plan? Nobody could say with certainty whether he was building a generation or, 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 or a group of leaders from those who were 40. It, the plan, the succession plan was not clear. That is why we saw uh, the, what took place in 2017. It was out of frustration probably uh, of what was now happening in state power where people felt that there were others who were trying to ascend to power, run the country uh, 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 whilst Robert Mugabe is there because he was now getting frail and uh, you could see that he was tired. Uh, and there were now the, the wife, was all over the show. And we had others whom we felt, whom many people felt were his, the advisors of the wife, but it was not very clear. And we were going towards a Congress. And as we moved towards the Congress, it was still not clear of what his succession plan was. So in actual fact, it is very difficult for me to, start, I, I, I am not very clear whether he had any succession plan with respect to who would take over the running of ZANU-PF and eventually, if accepted by the people, would then run the country. This is where I think it becomes a little bit more complicated, the politics in Africa, in that it is a game. It's always a game, and it will always be a game. In fact, in most of the cases, most of the games in politics that we are played in Africa, it's a very short one. We don't play a very long game. 
because that is actually where we are going to be able to win because how long, how long does a man live okay you live maybe you can even live up to 130 years let's even say so but at 130 years what are you going to be doing if we base the the future of a country on a man that country have no future so in this sense i think a leader a good leaders should always plan after them when when i'm gone who is going to be there because if we have that plan if you have that plan as a leader you know when the time has come that you don't need to be there strongly to talk anymore you need to be a grandfather relaxed at home because you have done your part you cannot save this world it is not only happening in the case of mugabe it, it happened all across africa we see these people who are old but they refuse to leave politics and it is hurting us a lot because for you to play this very sophisticated game as politics you need to be very sharp your mind needs to be working full time but if you are an old man how can you do this i just want a thought on that from you then we move into what can be the lesson to learn from mugabe yes you are very right i think one of the mistakes that was done was not to include uh, the number of times that an individual can be uh, re-elected into office. And we are happy that our constitution now stipulates that an individual can only run for two terms. And one of the mistakes that we also did was when during the time of Robert Mugabe, there was a new concept that emerged which was called the uh, it was the one man center of power. So Robert Mugabe became the alpha and the omega. He was the center of power. Nobody would do anything else other than Robert Mugabe. And the other thing is when we give somebody executive uh, uh, powers, he is subject to the, the executive powers may be subject to abuse. And also, I think one other thing that we should also learn from Robert Mugabe is that, um, uh, especially in terms of succession, is that um, at some point, when you get old, when you feel it in your, in, in the, because usually when men get old and you have a young wife, the young wife tends to drive you. And this is what we saw. We, Robert Mugabe, we felt that he was being driven by his wife. And most of the decisions and how she spoke at in public forum were an indication of an individual who had usurped the power of Robert Mugabe. And um, Wes, um, it was, he did not give enough power to those who should have uh, been who were deputizing him so that they can do the other work he yes he had the sharp brains he could do all sorts of things but he had also equally sharp brains in uh, in terms of his vice presidents which whom he would have chosen he should have given them the opportunity to run the country and ensure that they are prepared for ascendance to power, but that was never to be.
And it is a big lesson that we need to learn that you, when you choose leaders, uh, wherever on the continent and on the globe, we should make sure that we have term limits. It should not be uh, choosing a leader and then you give the leader too much powers even to change the constitution. We should give term limits so that after those term limits, he or she would have done his best for the country and allow others to do so. And we are glad that in Zimbabwe, um, the term limits now, there are two. So whoever comes into power, if allowed to have two limits after the, 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 second, the second term, he will not be able to run for president. Noma is perfect all around. But if I, being a leader doesn't mean you are the one who doesn't make mistakes. We are talking about it so that we can learn from it. It doesn't mean that he is an angel, but it means he has done great things that we can be proud of. But he has have, have also made some error. That makes him a human being. I want to add something that Robert Mugabe will be known for. Please go. When, he, when the sanctions were imposed on Zimbabwe, people thought that Zimbabwe would collapse. But there is one attribute that we have seen across the, 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 the globe of Zimbabweans. They are hardworking and resilient. And it is because of their hard work and resilience that have seen Zimbabwe being where it is, it is today. It is also because of the hard work and the resilience and the education that has seen many of Zimbabweans occupying high offices across the, 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 across the globe. And this, we give it uh, to, to Robert Mugabe for what he did to the Zimbabweans, particularly when he said, we are going to empower you, you should be masters of your own destiny, and that is who we are today, and that we give it up to Robert Mugabe. Thank you so much for that, sir. All right, to conclude the conversation, what would be your final message? I repeat again, this is a great person who deserves the recognition for what he has done. So, to the person who is listening, to the young African who are going to be the great men and women of tomorrow, what would be your message to them to conclude it? Please go. In conclusion, let me reiterate what the current president of the Republic of Zimbabwe said. Robert Mugabe remains our leader, the founding father of Zimbabwe. He is a man that all of us respect and he remains our hero in Zimbabwe because he is the founding father. The, he sacrificed most of his life for us to be who we are today. If for the young ones, there are so many things that we need to learn from Robert Mugabe. Robert Mugabe was an educationist, a person who believed in education. We need to learn among the leaders that we have known of, I think there might not be anyone or very few who were of the caliber of Robert Mugabe in terms of education. He had close to nine degrees that he worked for. And as young um, youngsters, they need to learn to, they should learn to learn to acquire knowledge so that they can be as sharp as uh, Robert Mugabe was. The other thing that we want 
people to understand about Robert Mugabe and learn from him is principledness. He was a principled leader. He was a leader who could say one thing today and could say it tomorrow. He did not change posts. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who believed in the emancipation of the black majority. And he was proud to be a Zimbabwean. And we should, all of us as Zimbabweans and Nigerians, all of them, uh, uh, Ghanaians, all of them, they should be proud to be Ghanaians, those who are Nigerians to be Nigerians, Zimbabweans to be Nigerians, because that is who we are. That is why we see Robert Mugabe saying to Tony Blair, keep your England and I will keep my Zimbabwe. He was an individual proud to be who he is. And we should also be able to say the same, not to pander to the whims and caprices of our erstwhile enemies just because they come from the, uh, 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 from the Western world. The other thing that we should also learn from Robert Mugabe, it is that we are masters of our own destiny. Countries on Africa can only become what we want them to be through our own hard work. By turning the resources that we have, beneficiating them, and making sure that we plow back in the development of our country. Robert Mugabe insisted that we need to be masters of our own destiny as Zimbabweans and as Africans. Africa can only be what we want it to be if us as Africans take up the mantle and put our hand, our shoulders to the deck and say, we are the masters of our own destiny. We can have an Africa that we want of our own choice. And from Robert Mugabe, we give it to him because he made sure that he empowered people and said to people, you should not be hewers of, uh, 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 of wood and drawers of water all the time. Let us not look for employment all the time. Let us create employment. That is where the empowerment uh, policies of Robert Mugabe touched on. Be creators of employment and not seekers of employment. Because we had grown to be uh, hewers of wood and drawers of water for a very long time and we felt comfortable and we were in that comfort zone. But Robert Mugabe wanted us to be uh, people who can uh, create employment by owning the means of, of, of production and also making sure that we exploit the resources that we have. And lastly, Robert Mugabe will forever be known as a complex man. Complex in the sense that what he believed in, many may not come to understand. And it is my desire, and it should also be the desire of many, to make sure that we continue to read and interrogate the life of Robert Mugabe, so that we understand who he was and what he intended to see our country, Zimbabwe, and Africa 
to be. And with that, I will forever respect Robert Mugabe as our leader uh, in ZANU PF and our, as our leader in Zimbabwe and as a pan Africanist on the continent. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. This is really very important. It's been an honor to talk about a great man like Robert Mugabe. And I believe that we have learned a lot uh, from him through uh, the, your exposition. And we are really grateful to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Overhead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain over here at one Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.